Trojan fans. It's time for another installment of the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast. We give you the inside scoop on everything about USC football recruiting from the experts who know what they're talking about. Which players have an offer, which ones don't, who the coaches like, and who our experts like. And now, here are your co-hosts for the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham and uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Hello Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. Today we're talking some USC recruiting and some team stuff too with Gerard Martinez, uh, uscfootball.com's great national recruiting analyst. We're going to talk with Gmart Live. You can follow him on Twitter at Gmart Live. Uh, on the podcast today, uh, if you have any questions for us, we're going to answer some of your questions about recruiting and about the team and about the coaching situation. You can email us podcast at uscfootball.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 641-715-3900 extension 816-646. You can go to our website as well, com. Click on the left side of the page. You can leave a voicemail right from your device, from your computer. And, of course, if you want to subscribe, the best way is go to iTunes.com slash Peristyle Podcast. That's our own URL on iTunes. You can subscribe there. You can uh, rate us. We would love a five-star rating. You can give us a review. So appreciate all the feedback. And tell your friends about it. If you're USC fans, you got friends, let them know about the Peristyle Podcast this holiday season. Gerard Martinez, let's bring you in. There's been a lot of uh, – it's been kind of quiet. We talked to Dan Weber yesterday, Gerard. A little quiet on the team front but not so quiet, really, on the recruiting front. Yeah, USC just uh, starting to kick things in here. They had that one week, and we talked about on the last podcast, where they were able to get a week of in-home visits in. Uh, Clay Helton headed out, talked to all the kids that uh, are mid-year grads and had uh, um, in-home visits with them, and that included Mickey Warriors, a former five-star linebacker recruit that was committed to USC and had subsequently decommitted and now is really looking at uh, USC, UCLA. Um, he's got Ole Miss and a couple other schools in there. He actually was set to take an official visit to USC last weekend, but instead took it to Oklahoma. So at this point, it definitely looks like USC's on the outside looking in for Mike Warriors. USC did have that in-home visit with Clay Helton, and uh, I think Marcus Tuiasasopo and T. Martin made it in, which is three of the five full-time <laughs> coaches they have on staff right now. Um, but right now we still hear that uh, Mike Warriors is leaning towards UCLA and will probably commit to UCLA. Now whether he's actually a mid-year enrollee in the traditional sense, meaning he will graduate in January, or he may have to delay that enrollment, remains to be seen. He's still got some classes to take. Torrance High School, North Torrance High School actually, uh, doesn't actually end their semester until about mid-January. I think it's like the 15th or 16th. So he's going to try to expedite some of his tests and some of the results um, that he's going to get from those tests to be able to enroll a little more early. It may not happen, though. The thing that is in favor for UCLA is that they have a quarter system, so he can actually enroll uh, before that uh, that spring quarter because uh, I think they have a winter quarter, and then they have a spring quarter, which begins in March. Um, so that will be uh, quite an issue for him uh, with UCLA. If he wants to um, enroll uh, right after the beginning of January, uh, then USC is really kind of the only choice for him because UCLA, I think their winter quarter is actually like January 4th it starts. 
So it starts earlier. USC's got a little later uh, semester start. I think it's the 11th or the 12th where they actually uh, start their spring semester. So, um, you know, it, it doesn't. It's really not a big deal, obviously. I mean, if like I said, if it doesn't get yeah, well, all his test results don't get done really quickly, uh, and he has to kind of have some spillover into January, and then he probably just goes with the quarter system and goes to UCLA. Uh, we saw that with Colt Lyula a few years ago with Oregon. We knew he wanted to be an early enrollee but wasn't going to enroll in the traditional sense uh, in January, and what he ended up doing is just coming in in March. So maybe the same thing for Mike Ward. So that's one guy that's uncommitted, that's a mid-year enrollee that USC uh, went in and had an in-home visit with Clay Helton. You only get one in-home visit with the head coach. Another guy was Olawale Betiku, and Olawale Betiku did make it to USC this past weekend for an official visit. Uh, he was one of three uncommitted, at least to USC, uh, recruits that visited huh. USC. Uh, USC also brought in kind of a secret surprise recruit, uh, Khalil Tate, who is a quarterback from Sarah High School. So you had actually three Sarah High School uh, recruits down there on campus. You also had C.J. Pollard, who's been committed to USC, and obviously Bedicu. Uh So, you know, the Khalil Tate one was really kept under wraps, was kept quiet. We, we heard rumblings about it uh, Friday, Saturday, uh, but really nobody would come out and give us a real, like, okay, yeah, this is happening right now. He is on campus uh, until basically Sunday uh, where we kind of got uh, confirmation that he was actually on campus. Uh, the Arizona coaching staff didn't know about it, which is hence why it was probably kept so quiet. That's interesting. They, they couldn't really communicate with him for a while, and we're pretty nervous about that. Subsequently, they have gotten in contact with him. Greg Briggins uh, actually reported that uh, just the other day on sort of a mini war room he had on the Peristyle, and I talked to some sources, and it sounded like they were back in contact with him, but um, it's definitely looking like a USC-Arizona battle, and USC's definitely uh, in it. And at this point, I, I guess if we were going to put money on it, it'd probably be USC right now. Uh, the fact that he took that official visit without telling Arizona and just, um, you know, being like he could he could have taken quite a few visits during the year. A&M, there was a few different schools that were really recruiting him pretty hard, and that last-minute visit to USC definitely tells you how serious he is. Uh, and finally, the other uncommitted recruit that officially visited USC this past weekend was Sam Marcus San Marcos, uh, Mission Hill Safety, Troy Warner, uh, another guy that's sort of kind of committed right now to another school. Uh, he's committed to BYU, but obviously with BYU, um, they had a change in coaching staff. They just um, got you know a new head coach, and they just started announcing that they're going to have some staff hires. Um, so we're going to see how that impacts his recruitment. But this is a guy that's grown up a USC fan, a uh, longtime USC fan, really wanted the USC offer. We had heard through basically the whole season – into it, like late, probably late September into October, it seemed like USC was getting ready to pull the trigger and they were going to offer him then. But they held off, they held off mainly because he had some injuries and they went to go, they wanted to go see him in person, I think, during the bye week, but he wasn't playing. So that sort of derailed the whole process of him getting a scholarship offer. And so we go and we fast forward, and obviously Steve Sarkeesian's not there. Clay Helton fires Keith Hayward, the defensive backs coach, uh, who, who appeared to be pretty high on Troy Warner, and they decided to turn around and now uh, offer him a scholarship. And like I said, the window opens a little bit because BYU has their own coaching changes. And so when he took the visit, BYU had yet to actually even announce that they had a head coach. So technically USC was in a better place in terms of 
uh, Troy Warner kind of knowing the situation he was getting into. Um, now that may change a little bit because now they have a head coach and they may have some staff hires, and perhaps they make those hires quicker than USC is. USC still doesn't have a defensive backs coach full-time, uh, still no defensive coordinator named. Um, so all that stuff is still uncertain, but he's a huge USC fan. And while he, he remains committed to BYU right now, uh, the feeling is that he probably flips to USC. Again, that feeling coming away from this visit, which he called quote-unquote phenomenal, and the fact that BYU was still kind of in turmoil as to what their coaching staff was going to look like. Um, so that will change. But, you know, now we have the recruiting dead period. So in terms of in-home visits, uh, BYU's not going to get an in-home visit with their new head coach. Um, there's not going to really be any in-home visits with any coaches uh, from this point at the dead period. And so he's going to have to make that decision just coming off that USC official visit. So lots of visit news. It's funny. We had Yesterday we were talking with Dan, and there was just so much not going on with the team. We think that's going to crank up a little bit now, though, Gerard. Uh, and it's funny. What I want to let people know we're recording this podcast Wednesday morning, and within about 20 minutes from right now, when we're recording, Sua Cravens is set to announce. So there'll be some news there. I did a little tweet. There might be some some more news later in the day on the team side. So I just want to let people know. But Gerard, we'll be able to get the reaction to what Sua Cravens does in about 19 minutes now. Do we want predictions now? So oh, I like that. We're, we're on the record. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's do it. What, do you want to yeah, go first? Gone. Yeah, I, go I would be very surprised. As surprised, if not more surprised, than the Matt Barkley announcement uh, that he was coming back, and, and would be more surprised. I think his his plan from the minute he got on the campus of USC was, I want to be a three and out guy. So uh, I would be very surprised if he came back. Yeah, same same thing. I just I don't think he's uh, I don't think he's sticking around. But you know, weirder things have happened. I just don't think in this situation that's going to happen. Um, yeah, so we'll see. Uh, you know, what do you want to announce it when uh, Zach Banner did? If he was coming back in front of everyone, you're just going to tweet it out. I just assume he's going to tweet out. Someone asked me if I was periscoping the announcement. I'm like, he's tweeting it. Like, I don't know. What am I supposed to I can, I can periscope, <laughs> my periscope tweet you watching Twitter <laughs> as he tweets it and your reaction. Yeah. So, okay. So that'll, that's going to be coming up. We also have um, we have a few recruiting questions to get to. We'll have some like coaching kind of questions that we'll both kind of answer. They're morally for me, but I'm not going to do a solo podcast. It's kind of a slow week, so we'll kind of do those together. But before we jump into those, I thought maybe you want to um, talk about USC also picked up a commitment recently. Yeah, they picked up a commitment from the 2017 class. Uh, Bubba Bolden, a 6'3", 185-pound safety from Bishop Gorman High School in Las Vegas. Uh, a real rangy safety, tall kid. Uh, seen some comparisons about Taylor Mays kind of get thrown out there. Not that guy. Uh, Taylor Mays was, I mean, goodness, he was probably 215 pounds when he was coming out of high school. I mean, he was a giant, really freakishly big athlete uh, as a safety at that point in high school, coming out of Bishop O'Day High School. I think with Bubba Bolden, you're kind of looking at a guy that's really more of a traditional safety. I would say a little more like T.J. McDonald, and that would be a better comparison. But whereas T.J. McDonald was probably 60-40 physical coverage safety, I would say Bubba Bolden is more 40-60. I think he's a really better coverage guy, a better guy tracking the ball in the air, uh, makes some really good plays, good hips. Uh, a guy that we saw at the Oakland opening Nike camp. Um, and uh, was a really good player, and a guy that just loves USC. And, and quite frankly, he got his scholarship offer when Clay Helton was just the interim head coach at USC. And Greg Biggins had talked to him and basically came away with the impression, did, you know, 
this guy's going to commit to USC. <laughs> it doesn't really matter who that coach is going to be. He loves USC. He's a big USC fan. Um, I think it was just a matter of the timing being right and, and kind of knowing who the head coach was going to be. Uh, but it didn't, I think, at the end of the day, have a lot of impact. Uh, he was going to end up at USC regardless. So USC does get their foot in the door at Bishop Borman. I mean, obviously they had com- did really recruited hard uh, Tate Martell, the five-star quarterback, and Tyson Lindsey, uh, the four-star uh, slot receiver. And at this point, they've lost out on Tate Martell uh, to Texas A&M. But, uh, again, Greg Biggins dropped a little mini war room on the peristyle just the other day and talked a little bit about the Martell situation. So check that out. Um, there could be some movement there. Uh, obviously, you know, USC fans are still sort of divided on the Tate Martell uh, to Itagaloa um, you know, the recruitment of, of who, who's the guy that they really want. You know, there's that half of the fan base that really want Tua, um, you know, the Hawaiian four-star quarterback uh, from St. Louis High School, and there's those that want USC to kind of completely convert to the run design spread option type of offense, which obviously is what Tate Martell is kind of a master of. So um, divided a little bit, and at this point it seems like USC is all in with Tua, but, you know, maybe Tate Martell ends up back on the market. We'll kind of see how that, uh, how that plays out. But his teammate, Bubba Bolden, is 100% USC right now. All right. Uh, well, you mentioned Tate Martell, and we do have a question that kind of involves him. So maybe we'll start there, if that works. Uh, it's a voicemail question for you. Okay, Ryan, J.D. from D.C. with a recruiting question for Gerard. You can start the clock now. This will be an all-time rapid-fire quick question. <laughs> Gerard. Police compare Khalil Tate with Jalen Green and who I think is a more closer parallel, Sam Darnold, as high school senior quarterbacks. Wow. Well, Sam Darnold is really the most polished quarterback of that group, the best passer of that group, Uh, a guy that can run the ball but really runs the ball in sort of a physical nature, kind of put your head down, get six or seven yards, um, I would say, and, and I hope this doesn't come off as a as a, as a criticism. It kind of a poor man's team, Tebow, in terms of a run. Not a big athlete, elusive type of guy that's going to run around, uh, but more of a sort of like, hey, you need a quarterback blast. He'll be 225 pounds probably in a couple of years, and he's physical. He he's a guy that got a, a scholarship offer as a sophomore as linebacker from Utah. So you're talking about a guy that, that he, he can put his head down and, and get some tough yardage. Uh, I think when you're looking at the other two guys, Jalen Green, really good athlete, fast, uh, swift, uh, not necessarily incredibly elusive. Um, he's not really a, a quick twitch fast. He's really more of a in the open field, can really pull away from people. And that's why I think the transition for him to receiver has been so smooth because he really is sort of that kind of guy that can run and has that long stride and can really get open in the field and sort of separate from people. Uh, with Tate, Tate is sort of a little bit of a cross between those two running styles and probably the least polished passer of the group. Um, I guess between he and Jalen Green, you could really have a debate, you know, who's the more raw of the two in terms of accuracy and, and their touch. Um, Jalen Green, the, the knock on him was always that he really didn't have any touch. He kind of threw that ball, uh, a fastball, every time he threw it, whether the guy was you know two yards away from him or the guy was 20 yards away from him, he kind of throws the ball the same way. Uh, I think with, Mar- um, with Martell, with Khalil Tate, I think there's 
a little more touch from him, and he's maybe a little more measured in how he throws the ball, but he's still very raw. Great arm, uh, but in the run game, he's a big guy. I mean, he's really he's about 6'1", 215, and he, he can run with some power, but he's also more agile, I think, than both of those quarterbacks, Darnold uh, and Green. He's very much a guy that can start and stop and get off the line really quickly. I mean, we've seen him play receiver. We've seen him play defensive back. During the 7-on-7 circuit, uh, he played for Keyshawn uh, Johnson's team and played really more receiver than he played quarterback, and he's just a guy that explodes off the line of scrimmage. I mean, he has, quite frankly, elite speed. Um, I don't know what his times are, but I know, and I think I've mentioned this before either on the board or on the Parastyle podcast, that he actually had a race with Adoree Jackson at uh, some point. Uh, I think he was a sophomore, and Adoree was uh, a junior, or maybe they were just coming up. Maybe, maybe he was a senior, and they were, they were running track in the offseason, and Khalil Tate was running with, if not faster, than Adoree Jackson. Um, and, and it was something that you know a few college coaches had mentioned when Khalil Tate was coming up. That's going to be a guy. I mean, he's, he's big, and he's fast. And that's really the best way to describe them. So, you know, when you're talking about quarterbacks, if you're talking about going to a run design system that has the quarterback running, then, yeah, Khalil Tate makes a lot of sense. Obviously, there's probably a little bit of skepticism on his part as to what USC's offense is going to look like going forward. I mean, he saw Jalen Green, who was playing quarterback at USC, move to receiver. And... You know, it, a lot of people say, well, he, he wanted to move to receiver. He saw the opening. He saw that there were, you know, there was Max Brown and Cody Kessler in front of him. So he was going to get immediate playing time at receiver. He can move back to quarterback. Okay, but I think it's still one of those things that Khalil Tate sees and says, ah, you know, I mean, I really want to play quarterback. And that was the deal breaker for him with USC. I mean, all along, Arizona runs a system where they run the quarterback, and he wants to play in a system that plays to his strengths, and he wants to play quarterback, USC has not done that. So it's sort of one of those things that you've got the proven system and how they use the quarterback, and then you've got the unproven system and what Clay Helton says they want to do. Um, and so that, that's, that's really where I think it comes down to him making a decision. It's the offense. Uh, I think if USC had run the quarterback at all in any manner and if there was any kind of proof that that was a system that they could run successfully or that was a system they even wanted to run, whether it would be a successful or not, I think Khalil Tate would have committed to USC a long time ago. Um, everything else is all USC. It's really just that factor of what type of offense USC runs. And at this point, um, he's probably a little skeptical, as we all are, because we have yet to see USC actually run the quarterback. And, you know, next, next year, if you're talking about Max Brown, you're talking about a guy that's not mobile versus Sam Darnold, who's semi-mobile. Uh, again, if we want to compare those guys, Sam Darnold, Khalil Tate, and Jalen Green, Sam Darnold is the least athletic of those three. All right. Well, that was good stuff there. I think I, I thought when I wrote that down, I thought he was talking about um, Tate Martell, not Khalil Tate. <laughs> yes, which is easy to get mixed up and to say Tate Martell and <laughs> Khalil Tate and yeah, the Tates because actually Khalil Tate. Uh, when you if you ever go down to Sarah High School, all the guys call Khalil Tate Tate. 
You yeah. know, and then everybody calls Tate Martell Tate. So, yeah, it's very <laughs> you get those confused what, what, in your head. When I do the voicemails, I just put like a couple notes because it's like a file I play on the computer. So I put Tate and we just were talking about Tate Martell. So I apologize for that. The lead in wasn't exactly right. But Gerard, you, it was you know. a segue by name and name only. <laughs> exactly. All right. Let's go to Trojan Blaze uh, in Orange County. He says, fight on. Thanks for all you do. And then hashtag Avery Strong. Quick shout out to Azusa Pacific alum. Brandon Huffman. Fight on, Brandon. We are hashtag Avery Strong and praying uh, with you in your battle. So he's talking about, if you don't know, Brandon is a you know, national analyst for Scout.com, and his daughter is going through, uh, has DIPG, which is this really rare uh, brain cancer. And I'm still wearing my little uh, Avery Strong bracelet. Uh, I've, I think I've had it on since we put it on this summer, so I don't think I've taken it off. Um, so he said the question is for Gmart. With the recent offers to defensive linemen like Boss Tagaloa and uh, Jelly, oh, it's a Jockey Polite. Is that how you say his name? Jakai Polite. Jakai Polite. Oh, wow. Polite. Sorry. Are recruiting to a quote unquote new scheme, as in a four-three versus a three-four? Also, what are your what are our chances with either? Lastly, who's going to be our defensive coordinator? We'll talk about that later. Uh, thanks Holy you guys. cow. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of open-ended questions there. <laughs> thanks, you guys, for all the great work. Fight on Trojan Blaze in Orange County. Well, um, I'll try to blaze through this question, but it may be difficult. Um, I think with Polite, USC has a bit of a shot there. The guy that's actually recruiting him used to be an administrative assistant for USC, uh, Kenyoto Hudson. Kenyoto Hudson is actually a, a big part of getting Leonard Williams, uh, Quentin Powell, and a couple other Florida recruits to USC. He actually was a head co- or excuse me, he was not a head coach. He was an assistant coach at Mainland High School, which is the high school that Leonard Williams went to. And Ed Ergeron actually uh, had met him, and they were talking. And Ed Ergeron was really kind of taken back by just you know everything that Kenyatta kind of knew from a schematic standpoint, and just his personality. He really liked him. He really wanted to bring him on staff, and so that was part of um, you know the the, the big the big pull to try to get Leonard Williams, Quentin Powell, and some of those other Florida guys to USC. And now he's actually been on the road recruiting full-time for USC. Uh, he is a guy that was an assistant, administrative assistant, but with USC only having full, five full-time coaches, um, they're really hesitant to put a bunch of those guys on the road. But they did put Hudson on the road uh, because he's been in contact with a lot of guys and been involved with recruiting a lot of guys on campus. But as a full-time guy, he can hit the road. So they did have that week where he went down to Florida. They offered a, a few different players. They offered uh, Evan Henson, who's a 6'5", 225-pound defensive end from uh, Deltona, uh, Florida. Um, they offered a few guys that – you know, sort of raises some eyebrows as to, you know, are they going to go to more of a 4-3 type look? Um, you know, Jakai is a big, big, a big outside linebacker slash defensive end type. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that he could play a rush end. Uh, he certainly kind of physically has some of those Port Augustine type, you know, features. So it's not necessarily, okay, he's a guy that you would have to put his hand on the ground and play a 4-3 defensive end. He actually plays in a two-point stance at Mainland High School. Um, so he's a guy that sort of plays that outside linebacker slash defensive end position right now. Um, but certainly he looks like a guy that's going to grow. He's about 225, 230 right now. He looks like a guy that will be 250, 260 uh, probably in the future. And with Hudson recruiting him and having that in, USC has a chance. Not a great chance but they do have a chance. Uh, the, the general gist 
that we get behind the scenes. And it's not necessarily just because of what we've seen with recruiting, but just more talk that, yeah, USC's probably going to go to a 4-3 next year. Um, it's not 100%, and yes, this is what Clay Helton wants to do. It's just sort of the vibe that people get, uh, whether it be in Heritage Hall or the McKay Center. It just sort of seems like, you know, that's what they're looking at and that's what they want to do. And then you can sort of piece that together as to, you know, some of the guys that maybe they're recruiting, you get a little more feel in that. Um, but it sort of remains to be seen. So it's certainly not a yes for sure. You know, they're going away from the 34. They're going to a 4-3. It's just sort of the vibe right now. Maybe that's the direction they're going in. In terms of defensive coordinator, obviously that correlates. Um, the guys that we've heard about, some of them are 4-3 guys, some of them are 34 guys. A lot of these coaches nowadays kind of run both systems. Um, I think, you know, obviously David Aranda is a guy that we hear a lot about, the Wisconsin defensive coordinator. His name has come up a few times. Uh, we've heard a bunch about Clancy Pendergast. His name has come up a few times. Uh, we had uh, that information in the war room a couple weeks ago that he had basically turned down Clay Helton uh, for the job. Clay Helton had offered him the defensive coordinator job. Uh, the weekend they were actually up there playing Stanford in the Pac-12 championship game. And they had an interview there at uh, the team hotel. And at that point, basically, you know, Pendergast has said thanks, but no thanks. Um, whether that, that holds true remains to be seen. It could be one of those things where it's just a negotiation tactic, and maybe they offer Pendergast more money, there's something else going on there, and then he decides to change his mind. But as right now, he's off the table, and he was plan A. So it's just a matter of, okay, who's plan B? Who's plan C? Have they offered anybody else, any other coaches the job? We haven't heard that at this point. You know, it seems like Pendergast might be the only guy they've actually offered the job to. Um, Aranda, you know, still a possibility. Another guy's name comes up now and again is Dwayne Walker, and that's a 4-3 coach. That's a guy that is coached to 4-3, really runs the 4-3 under a lot like Pete Carroll. He's kind of sort of a Pete Carroll disciple. He coached with Pete Carroll first year at USC, also coached at UCLA. He was uh, the defensive corner at UCLA when they beat USC 13-9 in the Rose Bowl, which derailed USC's national championship prospects. Um, he's a guy that, you know, is defensive backs coach, Something else that we've gleaned through, you know, various sources was just from this weekend talking to some of the recruits, they talked about um, sort of what Clay Helton had wanted in a defensive coordinator. And I say wanted, kind of have to emphasize that because it wasn't implied this is the guy we're getting. It was more this is what we want to have. And one thing that was said to C.J. Pollard, who is the four-star safety out of Sarah High School, is already committed to USC, is going to be a mid-year enrollee, um, Clay Helton had said to him they want to have a corners coach and a safeties coach. And so that implies that the defensive coordinator is going to be a secondary coach because the only way you're really going to get uh, both a corners coach and a safety coach on the staff is one of those guys is also – uh, the defensive coordinator. It's just because of the, the nine full-time spots that you have. You don't have enough spots to have, you know, two secondary coaches without one of those guys be defensive coordinator. Unless you do something really stupid and silly like hire two off-the-line coaches, which Lane Kiffin did <laughs> at some point, which I, nobody understands what the heck that was about. Stupid uh, but that does, You don't see that in college football ever. Um, you really, most of the time, if you're going to get two secondary coaches, one of those guys is going to be a defensive corner. So, and, and that's what USC actually has or had uh, this past couple seasons with Justin Wilcox and Keith Hayward. Um, so that sort of, you know, again, points the direction towards, you know, maybe a guy like Dwayne Walker or even 
you know, Clancy Pendergast because Clancy Pendergast was a defensive backs coach. Um, he was, quite frankly, the only defensive backs coach at USC as the defensive coordinator because William Clifton decided, you know what, let's have two offensive line coaches because our offensive line is not good enough, so we're going to hire a guy over the guy that we have already. And instead of making the other guy a tight ends coach, we're just going to have two offensive line coaches because we'll pretend we're in the NFL and we have that many spots. Um, <laughs> so that's sort of you know what happened with USC, which is, again, kind of a rarity when your defense coordinator actually has to be the lone position coach at the same time. For sure. Um, that was definitely interesting. Uh, I love how you categorized what Lane Kiffin did with the two offensive line coaches. Yeah, we're we're kind of waiting. Oh, hold on. Sue Craven's just uh, – He's going to forego his senior year. So that's what Sue Cravens is doing. Um, he just he just announced on Twitter. That was good timing, Gerard. I'll read it. He says, after considering all the options and looking at the future, I feel it is in my best interest to forego my senior year and declare for the 2016 NFL draft. Playing in the NFL has been a lifelong dream, and I feel the opportunity at hand is too good to pass up. I love USC. I want to thank all the professors, advisors, trainers, and coaches for everything they have done for me. Most of all, I would like to thank the fans so much for all their support. You guys truly made my college experience one to remember. I will always be a Trojan. Happy birthday to my father, Kevin, turning 50 today. You truly made me the man I am today. I love you so much. Thank you, Trojan family, for loving me as much as I love you. I will always remember to fight on. Now, the real question is, where does he go in the draft? I don't know. Like, I talked to, uh, like, Daniel Jeremiah, who's, uh, um, you know, obviously he's around uh, – you know, the program quite a bit. He's a former NFL scout. He works for the NFL Network. And I, he was with one of the home, I think it was one of the games. It might have been the Oregon. I don't know. I was up there, him and another NFL scout. And they both seem to think, you know, he's a, a certainly an NFL talent, but he's kind of a tweener right now. Um, so it's, you know, it's. Uh, I think he's a tweener with a little less athleticism than Shaq Thompson, who ended up going um, earlier in the first round than I think a lot of people thought he would. A lot of people thought maybe he was a late first-round guy, early second-round guy, because of that word tweener, which can be a positive or a negative, kind of depending on you know the system you're running and, and sort of what you want from that position at linebacker. And you know, Sue has always sort of looked at himself more as a safety that's sort of playing near the line of scrimmage in a linebacker, and I don't know if that's necessarily something that helps him out in the NFL draft. I think the NFL will look at him as a linebacker, and they want him to buy into being a linebacker. I think he's a second-round guy. I think that's kind of where he fits in. Um, I don't see him dropping lower than that. Uh, there's always that chance that you know some team falls in love with him, and it only takes that one team to draft him into the first round. But I think he's probably a second-round guy right now. Yeah, and I, you know, I think the good thing, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, is, yeah, he might be a tweener, and maybe he plays, you know, probably plays safety in the NFL. But he has a lot of film. Like he has, it's not just like projections. It's there's a lot of him making plays on film, and there's you know plenty of tape of him out there making plays. So I think that's what's going to be the difference between him and you know some of the other guys where you just kind of like well he could he'll definitely you know he could play really well there he's played really well even like at a position that's really not his natural position yeah again though if you're going to say his natural position is safety i just don't know in the nfl that you're going to have him at that position just because you just don't see many guys if he's at yeah one six two two twenty two twenty five at the at the you know at the smallest he's really a guy that should probably be paying at two thirty five 240, 
naturally, and then you're kind of going, okay, that's a guy that you want to put at linebacker. So system-wise, I would think, you know, a Will linebacker in a 4-3 would be a great position for him. Um, I think he's sort of in a weird spot at that USC uh, field linebacker spot, which is the same linebacker spot. Um, he's not a real force player. He's not a guy that plays at the line of scrimmage and sets the edge particularly well. He's improved upon that a lot. I mean, he came from a place where he, you know, couldn't really stop the run when it was run straight at him. So a guy that's made some plays uh, when the run is run straight at him. So he's definitely improved in that point. I would say in comparison with Shaq Thompson, I think the one thing while Shaq Thompson is a better athlete, just just straight up numbers wise, I think Sue Cravens is definitely better uh, in terms of ball skills. Um, he was a guy that might have been the best receiver coming out of his class, um, and and you had some good receivers in that class, even though he was ranked as a safety. I mean, he's a guy that just made spectacular catches every game I saw him. He dominated the whole field, every position. They played him at running back a little bit, and they put him at receiver, and he just made some of the greatest catches. So you're talking about ball skills. And as a safety or a linebacker, I think that's where you know teams could really, really like his film and really fall in love with his film. It's not going to be really a combine thing, and that's where I think he's going to have to really work to to shore up the combine numbers because you know he may run a four or eight or, or something that's not really amazing, and teams will kind of start to look at his upside. Um, but again, you know, like you said, he's got a lot of good film, and and I think. Really, the smart teams, they go off the film. New England Patriots, they go off the film. They go find guys based on film. A lot of the guys that they see and they find and, and they end up getting um, aren't even combine guys. You know, you see guys like Julian Edelman. You know, he wasn't at the combine. Uh, he did run a really good time at one of the regional combines. I think he had one of the best times um, in the nation that particular year. Uh, but they're going and finding guys because of the film. And then you kind of research and you kind of follow up on that and see what kind of numbers are there. And that's really what every smart evaluator does. You really want to see with your eyes what a guy can do and, and not get sucked into a bunch of numbers. Some of those tests don't necessarily even equate to, you know, football. Yeah, I mean, yeah, great instincts. I think wherever he ends up, it could depend on the system, and he could gain weight or lose weight. I think, you know, I think there's a lot. He's got options, but the they show that he can be a playmaker, and I think that's something that will he not? He's probably not going to kill it in the combine, like you were saying. But being a playmaker, having those kind of football instincts, is someone that I think that that's what can make him succeed at the next level. One hundred percent. He's got uh, you know Jalen Smith. Um, Jack, uh, you know, we're going to have to see what happens with Miles Jack. He's coming off that injury, but I think people still will, will love him and his athletic ability and, and being able to play uh, both sides of the ball. I mean, he's definitely getting a lot of comparisons, really close comparisons to Shaq Thompson, and I can see that. Shaq Thompson, uh, you know, who played for Washington, is a Sacramento Grant uh, player that uh, was a five-star guy coming out of high school. They both did that running back, uh, you know, linebacker, sort of thing where, you know, they played on both sides of the ball. Miles Jack was, you know, one of the best running backs that UCLA had probably in the past few years. Um, so, you know, that kind of versatility always it intrigues people. And, again, it can be used against you and it can be used for you when you're that hybrid sort of player. Um, I think with, with, with Sua, uh, he's done enough on film to say, I can play there in the line of scrimmage. Um, I think, again, if you if you want him in that four three wheel linebacker spot, it kind of sort of gives him the best of both worlds. He's not playing on the line of scrimmage, so he doesn't have to go against the tackle or tight end right at the line of scrimmage and engage. If you put take him off the line of scrimmage a little bit in the four three, he's playing in space enough where he can use his finesse skills, can use his agility to sort of avoid more blockers. 
and yet at the same time, you have him out there, kind of a guy that's a cleanup guy, really back side linebacker, and can use his athleticism and in coverage really use his ball skills to make plays. So <clears throat> that's a guy that um, I, I think in that position – somebody could really just fall in love with them and, and take them in a late first round. You know, we'll see what happens. All right. Um, well, I guess let's go on. We'll, we'll, I think we have one more recruiting question and we'll talk some coaching and some team stuff. So let's go. Here's the question for you. JD from DC recruiting question this week for Gerard. Gerard, uh, how are we shaping up for tight ends in 2016? It looks like Angeline is a lock. Um, are we still looking good with Asiasi? And finally, any news uh, on Bryce Dixon coming back? Uh, that would be uh, an awesome trio to add to the team next year. Yeah, nothing really going on with Bryce Dixon at this point. I, I think someone asked me in the peristyle a few weeks ago sort of, you know, what was the status of that. I can only say that people around the program still seem to feel there's some bit of optimism that he will rejoin the team. I know that he is still somewhat optimistic in, in returning to USC and, and the football team. Um, he still, you know, retweets stuff about the football team. He's still sort of engaged with, you know, some of his teammates uh, or former teammates. So there's still a bit of optimism there. Um, from the administrative standpoint, obviously the trend <laughs> that we've seen is, yeah, he's never coming back because they just basically – have thrown every situation and scenario that's been like this under the bus uh, in terms of, you know, whether it be medical or, or disciplinary, disciplinary action. Um, these, these types of situations, it seems like USC never comes out on the positive end of things in terms of the football team at least, uh, getting a guy in or getting a guy back, um, whether it be grades or just all these different issues. It always seems like, yep, you know, that's basically um, the, the administration takes kind of a hard stance and it's basically no-go. So, you know, we don't know for sure. Um, like I said, I think with the football team, I don't know if it's just wishful thinking, but if you talk to people around the team, there's still some optimism there. And I think with Bryce, he's still engaged and, and sort of active with following the football team. You have to think that there's some type of feeling like, yeah, I'll, I'll be a part of this again for him to have uh, that sort of outlook. Uh, with tight end recruiting, um, Ange line is solid. He canceled his official visit to Florida State, which he was supposed to have this past weekend. Um, at this point, he hasn't taken any other official visits. He was very happy with the, the hiring of Clay Helton uh, as the head coach moving forward. Um, he's got a great relationship with Marcus Tuyasasopo, who had an in-home visit with him last week. And, um, and, and they're, they're pretty set to go on USC. Um, obviously, you know, January is a crazy time, and stuff could happen in January, so we kind of have to wait and see uh, if he takes any other official visits or there's anything else that goes on with it. But the thing is, Kerry Angeline doesn't really like the recruiting process. <laughs> he committed early, and at that point, he was already done with it. He really just – and surprisingly so. You know, you're talking about 6'7", 240-pound, four-star uh, tight end from Pennsylvania, a guy that all the Midwestern schools are after, Notre Dame, all those schools – he had his pick of schools and, and could really go anywhere he wanted to go. And he just decided, you know what, USC just fit me in terms of off the field and on the field. They run the type of offense that I feel like as an inline tight end, I can be successful and shut it down and didn't really want anything to do with the recruiting process. So at this point, moving forward, he looks solid. Uh, Devin Asiasi, the 6'5", 270-pound tight end from Dale Sala High School. USC just offered his teammate, uh, a guy that a lot of USC fans have been clamoring for, 
uh, over the past, you know, really year for USC to offer is Boss Tagaloa. Boss Tagaloa, 6'1", 195-pound defensive tackle from De La Salle High School, is a guy that, um, you know, USC just, you know, hadn't been very high on. They hadn't really even recruited him very hard, let alone offered him. A lot of USC fans wanted to know why. Uh, it kind of gets all put on Chris Wilson at this point, obviously because he got fired. So USC can sort of do that. <laughs> and that's one of the, the luxuries of coaching changes is that you can always say, oh, well, that was the past coach who didn't like it. We love you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's a guy that's short and stubby. He's a fire hydrant defensive end or defensive tackle. He's not a guy that uh, is that long sort of Leonard Williams um, even, you know, Claude Palin or, or Delvon Simmons, who have the big long arms, a 6'5 type defensive tackle or nose guard. Uh, he's definitely a kind of a stubby, um, one-shade type uh, defensive tackle that uh, is quicker than fast, is stronger than fast, and is going to sort of play in a phone booth for you. Um, so he's a different, different type of player. And, again, people question, well, does this mean they're going to 4-3? Is this, you know, change? I, again, it, it's, you, could, you could argue that, and then you could argue, no, it doesn't really mean anything. I think at the end of the day, I think, you know, Marcus Tuiasasopo is a guy that was recruiting that area. He was recruiting Devin Asiasi. The two are close. I think this was kind of a push. Hey, let's, let's, let's get them both. You know, let's, let's not just – go after Devin Asiasi, who USC is in very good position with. This just means that they're probably in a better position. Um, I don't think they're totally too late for Tagaloa. I mean, obviously, it's, it's a late scholarship offer, and I think it does signal sort of where USC is with some of the recruiting of the defensive tackles in the South. Chris Wilson had a pretty good pull there in Georgia. They had a couple guys lined up that they might get official visits with uh, from the South. At this point, I just do not see them. And, of course, you know, they still have to make their defensive line higher, and that will make all the difference in recruiting. I mean, that's one position where you get a, a defensive line coach that's a real good recruiter. You're going to be in a lot of battles for top-end recruits. If you don't and you get a guy that's not a real good recruiter at defensive line, it's going to be really hard to get your foot in the door into other places in other regions. Locally, USC is going to always be there with all the top recruits, but it's when you kind of step outside the region, which USC likes to do in recruiting defensive tackles and had a whole lot of success in the South recruiting defensive tackles. Uh, but if you hire a guy with those kind of ties, then all of a sudden you're in the game with some players. It's still going to be difficult to get them because – Let's just face it, defensive tackles in the South are sort of mama's boys. <laughs> they, they enjoy that home cooking. There's a reason why they're 320 pounds, and they don't really want to leave that. you know. And so uh, they get off the plane sometimes in Los Angeles, look around and go, okay, this is a little too fast-paced for me. Um, so, and, you know, it's one of those things that I think with USC, Clay Helton probably saying, okay, let's look at what we can do reasonably, who we can recruit, then we'll go get our defensive line coach, and we'll see if we can improve upon our position uh, locally. And then, you know, if we have some in somewhere uh, nationally with some other kid, uh, we can go steal that kid. So that's basically how that breaks down. Um, but I think uh, with the tight end position, uh, USC's good, obviously, with Angeline. They're good with Devin Asiasi. Um, how they kind of go moving forward with any other type of guys, I mean, it, you know, obviously we have to see how the coaching changes uh, affect things. At tight end position, it's good because Marcus Tuesopo is still the, the, the tight ends coach, as we know. I mean, he's kind of the quarterback's coach in this particular situation, but he had been the tight ends coach. So as long as he stays online and, and on the staff, he's going to be a guy that I think they're going to be able to recruit the same tight ends that they had. Nate Nashira Upshur is another guy, sort of a halfback type, 
six two, six three, two hundred forty pounds that they're recruiting. I expect them to still bring him in. You know, I think January fifteenth is when he had his official visit set. I still expect him to come in for an official visit. Um, you know, Isaac Natua is a guy, or Isaac Nada is a guy that that is basically out of the running for USC. Once they fire Steve Sarkeesian, he looked at the situation said it was too uncertain and basically eliminated USC, and he's a mid-year enrollee, so I don't think USC is going to be able to get back uh, in for him. Um, Thaddeus uh, Moore is a guy that's actually the son of Randy Moss, uh, 6'5", 235-pound tight end, that USC was recruiting out of North Carolina. Kind of don't know what's going to happen with him. He doesn't really do interviews. It's hard to know if he's going to actually take an official visit to USC now. Again, I mean, Marcus Stuess-Temple is still there, so you would think that that connection and, and sort of the communication would continue at that position and that they would be able to still bring him in as a tight end prospect. Um, but right now, yeah, I mean, it's kind of really Devin Asiasi and Kerry Angeline, and we'll see what happens, you know, kind of going forward from those two guys. All right, uh, let's go on. Bearsecutor has a question. Uh, can somebody on the podcast weigh in on the apparently real, uh, very real possibility of Clay Helton making the following hires, uh, especially if the defense shows well in the bowl game? So he says on the defensive line, uh, BKU, he's talking about Kenichu Deze, uh, DB, uh, Stewart, DCN linebacker, Sermon, all of whom would have no experience at these positions, i.e. Pro- promotion for all. Also, what might the new guy, a high school coach, we have working Florida recruiting fit into a position-wise if he were offered a coaching slot? That's from Bear Secure, if you could translate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think it's very plausible. Um, first of all, I don't know who Stewart is. This is kind of a running joke now in the Peristyle. We don't know who Stewart is. This was uh, posted by Bear Secutor, um previously. Uh, I, I know there's Drew Pearson, who is the defensive backs coach at this point right now for USC. He was an administrative assistant, uh, a guy who you know coached at Muir High School for a while. Um, great reputation, really good recruiter, uh, players coach. Um, but that's really kind of the guy that sort of stepped in right now to be the defensive backs coach. Could he be a guy that gets a full time role if you bring in a defensive coordinator who's also also a defensive backs coach? Certainly, certainly, it's a possibility. Um, I don't think it's a big issue if you've got your defensive coordinator who's also the secondary coach. Um, I'm okay with having a guy that doesn't have a whole lot of experience being the corners coach or the second secondary coach. Um, Sermon, yeah, possibility. He stays on. I don't think it's a it's a great possibility for him to be a defensive coordinator right now. I think we've heard without really any doubt that Clay Helton wants to go get another defensive coordinator. Like his plan right now is to go hire a defensive coordinator. Um, Peter Sermon could do great in the bowl game, and maybe that gives Clay Helton second thoughts. I've been on record saying I think Peter Sermon will be a really good defensive coordinator, but sometime down the line. I don't think right now is necessarily um, – you know, the, the, the point in time where Clay Helton wants to take a chance on that first-time guy, you know, being his defensive coordinator uh, when that's not his side of the ball. Um, offense is his side of the ball. So I don't think that's really likely of happening. Um, I don't think Kenichi Odizi is going to be the full-time defensive line coach either. Uh, they also have Mike Tuyasasopo there who was brought on this season um, sort of in an administrative role who's kind of stepped in to help defensive line and, and recruit the defensive line as well. He's a guy that's got a lot of experience, um, but not necessarily a huge name. He actually coached at UCLA last year as an outside linebacker's coach and was fired by Jim Mora. Uh, so that's how he ended up uh, at USC. Um, I believe he's 
the uncle of Marcus Tuias Asopo. Somebody asked me if there were brothers. I don't think they're brothers. There's a big age difference. I think he's the uncle of Marcus Tuias Asopo. So that's the connection there. Um, so I don't believe that you're going to have, um, you know, those coaches there full time. And it's just, okay, that's going to be my staff. Now, is there a question and concern whether Clay Helton has the pull to bring in big names at those positions? That remains to be seen. Um, and, and I think there is a sort of trepidation there among the fan base you know, the Rolodex of Clay Helton may not be as extensive as it would have been from other coaches that have been proven head coaches that have had experience, that have been at multiple schools and coached multiple places uh, where they've had to make hires. Um, you know, Clay Helton, quite frankly, in terms of making hires, the only two places he's been where he's probably had any say in that is USC and Memphis. And so, accordingly, you kind of look at those coaches that have, have been there and you see the connections, but not really outside of that. So when you go and you, the first guy you offer the defensive coordinator job to is a guy that you have a relationship because he was at USC, Clancy Pendergast, it starts to raise questions like, okay, you're not being able to really look too far outside of your, your little wheelhouse of guys that you know. And coaching is sort of nepotistic in nature, and, and you're going to have that where you want to have guys you're working with that you trust. So that tends to go in line with guys that you already have relationships with. So that's why you get so incestual with that type of thing. But um, I think with that, obviously Clancy Pendergast was, was successful at USC. He was successful at USC with Ed Erdron. And I always try to emphasize Ed Erdron ran the defensive fronts of that defense in 2013. That was not really where Clancy Pendergast came in to, 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 to have any kind of say or, or real type of influence. Ed Erdron was already on staff. Lane Kiffin was looking to bring in somebody with Ed Erdron. It was one of those things where we have Ed Erdron here, so we want to sort of make this work with Ed Erdron. And so this is a different situation. Clancy Pendergast would be coming in, he'd be the defensive coordinator, and he'd also have more responsibility with the defensive front, unless you're bringing in another big-name kind of defensive line coach that you say, okay, you're the run game defensive coordinator, Clancy Pendergast is the pass game defensive coordinator, that's how we want to do it again. That could have been maybe something that was a hurdle when Clay Helton went up to interview him and said, hey, Clancy, we want you to do the same thing you were doing in 2013 at USC, and Clancy Pendergast said, no, I want to have control over the whole defense. And maybe Clay Helton was like, we're not so sure about that. That wasn't what worked before. Um, so, you know, it, there's a lot of questions there with, with everything going forward and how these responsibilities are all split up and, you know, how USC wants to do it coach per coach. And can they go out there and get one of those big-name guys that's a hot name right now? Or are they going to sort of have to, you know, look real close to where they are and, and make kind of a similar hire that, that USC made with Clay Helton? Um, <laughs> we're just going to have to kind of wait and see how it goes shakes out. All right. Uh, let's move on, Gerard. we got a few more in this kind of weird podcast during the Sua Cravens announcement that I think people enjoy. We'll have instant reaction from Gerard and Ryan on the, on the This is very instant analysis, even though it's, you know, probably – I don't know. When is this going to go up? Do you know? Oh, it'll be up. I should have it up when we're done. So, yeah, say we done, we're done taping by, like, 11, a little after 11, 11, 15, it should be up by like 11.30. So it'll be up. Okay, there really you quickly. go. Very instant analysis. Yeah, so people will get this. So, what, you know, it depends when people download it and everything, but it'll be available to people at that point. Uh, Gene from the OC, I can see, uh, I can now see why these podcasts are addictive. You and your staff are doing a tremendous job keeping us updated all the time. Well, thanks, Gene. My question for you is, did it strike you as strange when Pat Hayden mentioned at the quote-unquote Sark firing press conference that he had consulted with medical professionals about Sark's condition after the Salute to Troy event, 
received uh, receiving qualified assurance from them that Sark was okay to return to coaching. I don't know of any medical professional knowledgeable about substance abuse that would allow the user to return back to a very high stress, very uh, a very high stress, high expectation job position. Uh, it is setting the person up to fail, which perhaps leads to suspicious a suspicious notion that after consulting with legal staff, they allowed Sark to return with signed conditions, and if he failed, which was likely, it would help support their termination for cause in any future legal negotiations. I know this sounds uh, like a conspiracy theory, but wondered if you or anyone had an opinion. Whew, that was a mouthful. Gene in Orange County. Any opinion on that one, Gerard? I think it's an interesting observation. Um, and I do agree, you know, what medical personnel would come to the conclusion of giving him a clean bell of health when the question is whether he's an alcoholic or he's not an alcoholic. Um, how do you come to that conclusion um, just based on a short amount of information? Obviously, it was kind of a here and now type of assessment, and you would have to go back through his records and you'd have to go back through everything that he'd done, and I don't think you're bringing in anybody with any type of medical expertise that's going to be able to sit there and make that determination as quickly as USC did at that point. Uh, psychologically, you could make an assessment of where he is in terms of stress, uh, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about substance abuse, and substance abuse being a very generic, wide net term. Um, we've not actually heard from USC, and I always point this out, that Sark got fired because he was a quote-unquote drunk or quote-unquote alcoholic. USC has never, ever said that. That has never been a statement of fact made from them. So it allows you to start to think, well, maybe there were other things involved uh, other than just the drinking. And obviously, at that point, I believe Steve Sarkeesian had something, said something to the effect that there were some prescription drugs that were also involved uh, with that salute to Troy outburst. Um, I don't know if he said that specifically or that was something that uh, was reported, but that, that was kind of put out there. That was um, in the lawsuit, and, too. Yeah, we, we had kind of put some of, the, some of that in the war room, like, afterwards, but it was also in the lawsuit saying that that was uh, – there were pills involved with like a couple of light beers or something like that. Yeah. So that kind of opens the door to, you know, there being a combination of things. And again, going back to Gene's question, he's saying who makes the assessment at that point in time, at that point in time from a medical perspective to be able to say, Oh yeah, you're okay. or You're not okay. Within a week's time. Because I mean, obviously that was right after salute to Troy and the season was coming up. And so there wasn't a whole lot of time to be able to say yay or nay on that. So I, I think it's an interesting observation. The conspiracy that USC let it go on um, with the, the thought that, okay, well, if he screws up, then he's basically going to void his contract, so we'll let it play out, and it's a win-win for us. Either he gets his act together and he goes out there and, and is a good coach, or he screws up and he's not a good coach because of this uh, issue with, with the drinking and, and whatever else is involved, and we fire him because it's in his claws. I don't really think that. I think it's more of sort of just they turned a blind eye, and it was probably just irresponsibility of not um, seeing what everything was at that point in time and, and maybe maybe just watching him closely enough. I, I mean, I've heard so many stories, and it's a lot of stuff that, you know, we don't want to get into and we don't want to talk about, but um, this was something that was a, is an issue for Steve Sarkeesian for a while. And it was an issue even after Salute to Troy. And there was things going on that we'd heard about, and it just was like, wow, what, what's going on here? Who, who's watching 
the 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 thirteen year old right now. You know what's going on here? <laughs> You're sticking fingers in light sockets and lighting the cat on fire. There's all kinds of stuff going on, <laughs> and it just seems sort of like. Um, you know, like, uh, it, well, you know, it's, it's, it'll work itself out sort of thing. And, and it, again, it goes back to speaking to the whole enabler uh, argument of, you know, this was a Steve Sarkeesian alone that screwed up, that ended up getting fired. It, it, it was, there was people around him that allowed this to happen. It just didn't happen, you know, overnight. It was, a, it was something that happened over a, a period of time. And, and certainly when it happens over a period of time and it sort of snowballs a little bit, you know, sometimes you become desensitized to that and you're around it so long and, and maybe the people that were around him just didn't really notice how out of control it was becoming. And that could be an argument for it. Uh, but again, when you start to throw all well, medical assessments and personnel, that's sort of these like excuses and sort of, you know, backtracking on what you did to kind of excuse yourself from having any accountability or responsibility for what happened. Yeah, and it, it, the whole thing's weird. And, I, you know, I'm no expert on addiction, but just watching enough of the shows, being around, you know, people in my life that you've, you at least get glimpses of it. If there was some a real problem there, and we know Steve Sarkeesian said he didn't think he had a problem, but he was going to ask Pat Hayden about it. Like, what the heck does Pat Hayden, like, why would you be talking to the athletic director about if you have a problem, you know? And there's, um, I mean, that's something, you needed to bring in someone professional at that point. And I think that was the big issue is after Salute to Troy, doing up-downs was not the right way to go. It's not even just like the correct punishment or whatever, but it's more of, you had to do more of a an assessment. And they, if he's saying that they talked to medical professionals and uh, they said it was going to be okay to return to coaching, I, don't, I, I agree. I don't think anyone would really say that. Um, I mean, I, I just, I, we'd have to talk to some medical professionals, but the people that we've heard kind of through the reporting process was, yeah, I mean, that's not an easy thing to do. And even now, when Sark went into a 30-day, uh, apparently, you know, according to his report, it was like a 30-day rehab sort of thing. Um, I mean, that's – would you see those guys that are really addicted to stuff on, you know, the different shows and everything? That's like 90 days if they stay in the whole time, and then they got to like go to sober living thing. Like, it's not an easy thing to kick. Um, so it, there's just a whole lot kind of underneath there. I don't know about conspiracy theory, but I just think that people probably made some bad decisions that were more – football or saving face related as opposed to doing the right thing and now we're in this huge mess that you see with the lawsuit and firing and all that kind of stuff yeah no i agree 100 percent. i think that's really unfortunately it was uh there was less motive to it than incompetence yeah no i i that's a good way to put it all right we got a couple more and then we'll wrap up Stephen poway it seems like zach banner and chad wheeler were penalized a lot this season especially banner for false starts is it just my perception, or was that actually the case? And is it common for tackles to be penalized more than other linemen because I can't recall more than one penalty on any of the other linemen this season? Thanks, Stephen Poway. I don't. I mean, I think there was a lot of linemen penalties. I don't. I don't necessarily think it was only tackles that were getting them, though. Yeah, I think. Uh, I think with Zach Banner, obviously, he's a unique. Uh, pass protector and because of his size you know you got a guy that's that that tall six nine um that creates some issues uh unique issues and so you know football's still a game of leverage especially at the line of scrimmage and so there's always that argument you know what's too tall for an offensive lineman and i remember Pete carroll 
I had a conversation with him about that, with Pat Rule, and we were talking about offensive linemen. He said, what's too tall? And at that point, they were recruiting Sam Young as an offensive lineman. Sam Young, who was from St. Thomas Aquinas, who ended up signing with Notre Dame, who's a five-star offensive tackle uh, in that class. And there was a little bit of hesitation with USC in recruiting Sam Young because of how tall he was. And he was uh, you know, listed like 6'7". And, you know, Pete's opinion was 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six is tall enough. You really don't need a guy taller than that because you're really going to drop into um, leverage issues and being able to, to get low, and especially in the run game, more than anything, being able to get low and drive block. And uh, I think with Zach Banner, obviously, that's, that's a big issue for him. And I think when you've got a guy that, that's that big, um, it's easy for him to get his hands on the outside and to get called for holding calls. Um, you know, some of those holding calls are legitimate. Some of them are going to be questionable. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, that's kind of an issue for him. As far as just getting outside, you know, that's just a general discipline thing. Um, and, and, you know, those guys are going to be a little farther away from the center, a little farther away from the calls. And you always have, you know, on the road, you have issues when you're dealing with the no huddle offense that the quarterback has to make those calls. And so you're, you're, you know, you're kind of listening in and you're on the outside of that, that offensive line. It's going to be harder for those guys. So those guys are always going to have a little more issues with offside calls probably in a no huddle offense. But it's just general discipline um, from an offensive line standpoint uh, when you just start to see outside calls. Uh, those guys have to have a better system in place for communication. All right. And then we have one more. And uh, it's not really a question, it's more of a comment, but I'll, I'll answer the first part. He said, I've not seen any press conferences by Helton lately. Will he be available for press conferences after each practice for the bowl game? Yeah, that's the plan now. We still do not have a bowl schedule. And USC kind of sent out an idea and didn't want us to say anything about it. And we, it ha- like we can tell you it hasn't started yet. And we don't have <laughs> we don't have an official word yet. But once he has a practice, then... We will definitely talk to him, which is it's kind of weird, this, Gerard. This has been the other dimension of the hire of Clay Helton that has sort of gotten off to an odd foot. You know, uh, I, I don't know how to two left feet here with um, the the initial. You know, okay, obviously he had. Uh, the Stanford Pac-12 championship, and that kind of came and went. You know, obviously USC didn't play well in that game, um, so that's not the best start for Clay Helton, you know, after his official announcement as being a head coach. Um, but now we've gone into this bowl practices, and the one thing that has really been a, a biggest question is just how many bowl practices USC would have. And they are not using the 15 allotted. I, I guess I won't say how many that they're at this point projected to use, uh, but, but you're, to you're our knowledge, of, you're running out of unless days. you're secretly, <laughs> what? You're running out of days. Like they, you can't have 15. Yeah, exactly. Not... Unless you're secretly, you know, practicing somewhere and just haven't told anybody and, and there's no media allowed and they basically haven't announced anything. Um, they're not going to use very many of these practice days, which a lot of people that are close to the program uh, are kind of like, so what, why, what are we, what's going on here? Why are you not using every possible day you could for, for a young team? and to try to get as many reps for, for all these quarterbacks that you have and all these guys are going to have to take over next year uh, that you can't. So it's, it's sort of been an odd, inauspicious sort of start from that standpoint. I mean, everything that we've seen from Clay Helton has been pretty predictable, you know, as an interim coach. And I guess that's the one thing, you know, coming away from Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian, there's always sort of odd things that would happen and some unpredictable things and kind of let you – just lets you a little bit of a lurch sometimes with decisions that they would make. And you try not to be overly critical because you don't know 
all the factors and all the variables that are involved and why they would make a decision like that. But stuff came up that you just kind of go, oh, that's weird. And this is one of those things that's kind of an odd, weird thing um, with the bowl practices and the bowl preparations and how many practices they'll actually have. And so, uh, and the communication or lack thereof from the top down uh, with what's going on, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, Pat Hayden has been very quiet about just about everything. Didn't really wanted to necessarily even address the media after the Clay Helton hire, which was odd in and of itself. The press conference in, its, in itself was sort of a, a stripped down sort of, Hey, this is what's going on. Thanks for coming. Boom. We're out of here. And, and then now at this point, answering questions or having some type of communication with the media going forward as to the plans just from Clay Helton specifically, that has pretty much been uh, incommunicado kind of silent radio silence at this point. So that whole thing is sort of an odd thing. And maybe we'll get some answers and maybe there's a little more communication as to, you know, what the plan is going forward or why they have decided to not you know, practice as much as they could at this point, um, or maybe that they have. They'll announce, hey, yeah, we're, we're yeah, we practice a whole bunch. Sorry, guys, you just weren't invited. You know, maybe that's going to be the announcement. I don't know, but yeah, that's uh, like I said, kind of a weird thing. You get off that odd, that odd, um, you know, two left foot start <laughs> instead of you know coming out of the box strong. Uh, so we'll see, you know, how everything kind of shakes out uh, here in the next week. And like you said, you kind of hinted a little bit on Twitter. We should have some more news. Um, coming here in the next few days. All right. And he had a comment. Um, he said, I'm a USC grad from 1970 from the McKay era. So McKay era. Uh, so I've just seen a lot of teams and coaches. Helton has put the energy and drive back into the team that was missing since Coach Carroll left. Very impressed with him. I'm very happy that Pat Hayden selected him because he clearly knows what he's doing and he's getting the team energized again. It makes a big difference. I would rather have a coach that has demonstrated that he can do the job that needs to be done, then hire, then then hire and get a big name. That's from Gavin. Um, they did get crushed the two out of the last three games, but you know, I I think there's a lot of USC fans, Gerard, that are that are in the same boat that they just like what Clay Helton's brought to the team. Well, he he certainly uh, presents himself well, um, says the right things. I think that uh, the team feels like they can trust him, and, and that's probably something that. With the last two coaching hires, uh, you could question that. You know, how, how much buy-in factor was that? Um, but, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I, it's just one of those things that you kind of wish they could come, get off to a better start a little bit with him. Now, the Stanford game is a Stanford game. It is what it is. Um, you know, you can argue, hey, you know, he got plopped down into this thing. Doesn't have his own staff. Um you know, he, he did what he could with, with the games that, you know, he won and he lost. You know, Stanford and, and Oregon were the two big black eyes as far as, you know, this season goes for USC. You know, they played Notre Dame tough, had a chance to win that game, um, obviously beat UCLA, beat Utah, um, had some kind of struggles against some lesser opponents like Arizona and Colorado. Uh, but you kind of sort of have to, again, you look at the injuries and you look at the fact that he's not working with his full-time staff. I think – it's just one of those things that it, it, the announcement is made at the end of the year and you sort of start to look at it like, okay, we're looking forward from UCLA game as kind of the, the real first part of the Clay Hilton era at USC. And you go, okay, well, that didn't get off to a good start because of Stanford. <laughs> and it's not getting off to a great start because of the lack of communication coming from Heritage Hall with the bowl preparations and sort of what's going on and obviously the lack of coaching hires. It's just been a lot of silence, you know, and that's not what you necessarily expect after 
the higher and you, you think, you know, there's going to be some more decisiveness just because that's, again, the person that Clay Helton seems to be uh, a lot more predictable, a lot more, and I don't mean predictable in terms of scheme. Don't get me twisted there. I just mean predictable in terms of personality and what you can expect from him. And I think that's something that the players have yearned for for the past few years. I mean, it's like, come on, let's just get a guy that, you know, says something and follows up and does it. That's, that's important. I, I know that sounds like such a simple thing, but in coaching, and I made an analogy, I think a couple podcasts ago, just about being able to trust your coach. If your coach says, this is what we're going to do, or this is what you're going to do, and this is what I'm going to do, and you do your part, and he doesn't do his part, man, that, that, that's cracks in the foundation right then and there. And, and I know with Lane Kiffin, one of the first things he did, which I think undermined his own policies and philosophies, was when he was telling guys, look, you're going to have to earn your numbers. You want to get a number nine, you want to get a single-digit number, you want to get a 55, you want to get you know, a 79, a, a number that's a, that's a traditional number that people want, you're going to have to earn it on the practice field. And then he gave Lamar Dawson 55 before he even got on campus. And that was something that, trust me, these kids, they, know, they see that. They know that. And then they start to second-guess, well, what else is he going to say that he's not going to follow through on? And so with Clay Helton, he seems to be more of a guy that's going to say something and then follow up a, with it on action. And so, you know, at this point, we just we haven't heard anything. <laughs> so it's like, well, what are you going to say at this point so we can kind of, like, hold you to it? Um, with the team, that's a different situation. At this point, we're just talking about from a media fan standpoint, like, you know, what's the, what's the direction of the program? What's, uh, you know, what are you looking for in, in some of these coaching hires? Um, you know, what are you guys doing for bowl preparation? Uh, USC does not want to start off – 0-2 with Clay Helton as a head coach going into that Alabama game. That's just, just going to be rough. That's just going to be tough. And so, again, you know, you want to see them be able to kind of put in as much as they can for this bowl game and create some type of momentum, you know, with the recruiting season really starting to heat up and you go into January, uh, you, you, you get blown out by Stanford and you lose to Wisconsin, that's, um, that's going to make it tough. That's just going to be, a, like I said, you're going to be hopping on uh, two left feet there uh, to get started instead of uh, really getting a run start uh, to this uh, this era, the Clay Helton era. Um, and, you know, since this is a breaking news podcast, Gerard, I just got an email, more breaking news. Um, the, they finally did release the bowl practice schedule. So we know there's going to be five practices at Howard Jones Field, the 19th, the 20th, 21st, 22nd, 23rd. Then there will be two down in San Diego the on the 27th and 28th. Uh, there will be no practice on the 29th, and then the bowl is on the 30th. So seven uh, bowl practices. Um, Which I understand there are a lot is 15 bowl practices. Yeah. I don't know if that's changed or anything, but um, so, you know, that's what we thought. That's what we had heard, you know, going in. That was kind of the unofficial word that they were going to get seven practices. And immediately, you know, I, I thought that's that's interesting. That's a lot less practices than I know that they could have. And I started asking around to coaches and, and sources that are familiar with uh, bowl preparation periods, and the unanimous kind of you know feedback was I I have no idea why they would only be getting seven why would they be getting seven practices they need as many practices as they can possibly get in so again that's obviously a question for Clay Helton um, why you know why why less practices why is that better there may be a very reasonable uh, rational explanation for it and you just you know you got to kind of sit back and, and wait for it. Um, but uh, it is interesting that uh, they're taking about half of the amount of practices that they could you normally have. Yeah. 
All right. Well, hey, man, we had some breaking news on the podcast. I tweeted out this morning there was going to be a, it was going to be a news day. I think there's still more coming. So just everyone pay attention to what's going on. Uh, but so far, I've been right. <laughs> um, but Gerard, great stuff. We went. Wow. We went over an hour and 10 minutes. I thought this was going to be a short one, but we did it. We did quite a bit. Well, it was a good one. There's lots to talk about, and there'll be a lot more to talk about going forward. It's the recruiting dead period all the way until I think it's January 11th, 12th. Uh, usually the nights, but I think it's even a little longer this year. Um, so we'll, you know, be on the other side of the Army All American game. Obviously, we do a podcast probably from San Antonio. We'll be there live with uh, lots of uh, video and updates, analysis. Um, you know, you know, you, you know where to go for all that stuff, guys. You know, they know. They should know. Uh, all right. Well, Gerard, great stuff. Thanks for coming on, everyone else. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. Welcome back to the show, folks. We're downtown today looking for small business owners. Here's one now. Excuse me, who's handling the marketing for your business? Marketing? My nephew did our Facebook page and the website, but I didn't really see results. I'm just too busy trying to build my business to focus on that stuff. Maybe I have to hire a professional. Well, did you know Circle Marketing's entire team of marketing experts can help you grow your business? Really? But can Circle Marketing handle my social media updates? Yes. New website design? Yep. Online advertising? Sure thing. Make a professional video? Oh, yeah. Help me with marketing strategy? Absolutely. Can they walk my dog, Harriet? Um, no, that's not marketing. Oh, okay. Well, we were on a roll there. So where can I find more information about Circle Marketing? That's easy. Go to circlemarketing.com. When you're ready to hire a professional, full-service marketing company, contact Circle Marketing. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 